We are beginning a new series called Seeing Through the Fog. Sometimes our emotions can get a little foggy, but God can help us see those emotions and how they can lead us directly to Him. He can help us see through the fog. Today we're going to see through the fog of shame. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. We are starting a new series today. It's called Seeing Through the Fog. We're looking at the fact that, you know, God has given us all kinds of emotions. And uh, sometimes those emotions can be very prominent in our life. And sometimes those emotions can get a little foggy. You know, we, we, we can uh, attest to that. We can agree with that. Emotions like shame, uh, depression, anxiety, envy, anger. I'm excited. My wife is going to be talking in week three on Mother's Day about anxiety. I encourage you to be yeah, here for that as well, to hear her share on that. But God, what God can do is God can help us see through those emotions. And he can help us see how those emotions can take, him, take us directly to him. He can help us see through the fog. Um, and I do want to say, and I'll probably say this every week, so you'll get tired of hearing me say it, is I realize that there are different depths to these emotions, all right? I'm not naive to think that there's not different levels that people experience things on in their life and how they deal with it. It affects you differently. It can affect people differently mentally, emotionally, spiritually, uh, physiologically. I get that. Now, I'm a pastor and we're in church. I'm going to speak primarily to the spiritual aspect of all of this. But if you need help in regards to anything anymore, I want to encourage you to talk to someone who is a counselor, who is a Christian, who has biblical principles that they use that can help you dive a little deeper. We have links, uh, a link on our website to Christian counselors. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in having to talk to someone uh, about things a little bit more. In fact, we're going to talk about shame today. That's exactly uh, where we're going to start. When you were a child, I don't know if you ever had this phrase said to you, or maybe you've said it to someone before. Have you ever had this phrase said to you before? Shame on you. Yeah, maybe, maybe, like I said, maybe you said that to someone, but have you ever really considered the weight of what you're putting on someone when you say, and I know sometimes we say it jokingly, I get that shame on you. You know, we, we may say it jokingly, but, but if you ever really can say, if you're truthfully going at someone saying shame on you, or that's come at you before the weight that comes on you when you say, so I began as, as I was preparing for this message, I began to think back and just kind of try to look and say, have I ever said that to someone? And did I ever say it to my kids? If I did, I'm sorry. Uh, it, you know, because shame is not what we're meant to have on us. Shame can range from embarrassment, you know, just simple embarrassment to things much more serious. And I'm sure probably many of you are, are sitting in this room right now or watching online and you're thinking to yourself, things are immediately coming up to your mind of things that you might be a little ashamed of, things that you carry the weight of shame on you. And I have things in my life. And sometimes the, the biggest things that I'm ashamed of are things that come out of my mouth again, because sometimes my mouth works a whole lot faster than my brain processes. And so I know that none of you have that problem. You all are great in that area. You're, you're fantastic. You're good. But you know, sometimes I look back and I say, man, why did I say that? Why did I, why did I even talk about that? And, and so, and, and so, you know, but shame can come on us in so many different ways. Shame can come on us from things that we've done obviously, but shame can also come on us from, from other ways, from other things. Maybe something traumatic happened to you in your life. Something was done to you and that has brought shame on you in your life now. 
and you carry shame from that. Maybe you were labeled in some way. You kept being told that you were no good. You kept being told that you were worthless. You kept being told in, in so many words that made you feel damaged. And so now you carry that identity and you think that's who I am. And so you carry shame from that. Maybe it's something that you and no one else has any control over. And because that's happened to, happened to you, you carry shame from it. It could be a disease. It could be some type of sickness. It could be infertility. It could be any, any realm of things that would you, you carry this weight and you, you're shamed because you have this. There's so many things that can bring shame. But I want us, first of all, to understand today that there is a difference between guilt and shame. There's a difference between those two things. In fact, there's, there's even a difference between guilt and condemnation. See, guilt, guilt is something that says, I did something bad. And you, you understand that, right? You, there's the guilt that comes on you from that. And then condemnation comes in and condemnation brings a lot of judgment towards that and keeps harping the judgment on you for what happened. And that leads to shame because shame then takes that guilt that says I did something bad or there's something bad in context around me. And shame tells you, you are someone bad. That's what shame does to you. Shame makes you begin to real or makes you begin to think I'm defective. It makes you think I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm ugly. I'm worthless. I'm impure. I'm no good. Nobody wants me. Ed Welch, who's a, he's a part of the Christian Counseling Educational Foundation. He makes this quote that basically sums up what I'm saying. He says, shame is the deep sense that you are inherently flawed, unacceptable, and unworthy of love because of something you've done, something done to you, or something associated with you. Now, shame entered the world at the very beginning. Shame has been around since right after creation took place. It's been around since the very first man and woman ever walked the earth. We go, we look at Genesis chapter two, verse 25. We've looked at this verse even recently in series that we've done. He says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. That verse is not meant to be dirty in any way. I mean, what it's talking about, it's talking about they were there, they were laid bare before, they knew everything there was to know about each other, but there was no shame. No shame was felt even when they knew everything and saw everything about the other. And then what happens? Temptation comes and Eve is tempted to eat of the fruit of a tree that she was told she wasn't supposed to eat from. And then Adam is tempted by Eve to eat that same fruit. And then all of a sudden we see it in Genesis chapter three, verse seven. We see that at that moment, their eyes were opened. What? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They began to see things in a different way. They had a different revelation about what they were seeing. And now all of a sudden they felt shame at their nakedness. And what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. They now have shame because they see each other in a different way. And what caused that? Sin. Sin caused it. Sin is the, what brought the shame into their life. 
then God comes into the garden and he begins to walk with them as only we can presume from the text that that's what he does on a typical day with Adam and Eve. But he sees that Adam and Eve is nowhere out in the open like they usually are. And so he begins to ask three different questions. And he says, where are you? Because it's important for God to know where they're not just for God to know where they are. It's important for them to know where they are right in that moment. And then he asks the question, he says, when they begin to say where they are and why they hid there, he begins to ask the question, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Where are you getting your information from? Who are you listening to? What voices are you allowing to speak into your life? And then he asked them a third question and he says, did you eat from the tree I told you don't eat from? In other words, did... Have you done what I warned you against doing? Did you not heed my instructions? It was pretty important that you followed that. Three very important questions to consider in our own life when we're looking to overcome shame. If we have shame in our life, these are three questions that you could really start with to begin to find where you need to go to help you begin to find freedom from shame. And understand that God asked these questions to Adam and Eve, not because he needs the information. God knows where they are. God knew what had happened. He's God. He's all knowing. God asked them these questions to open the door for their revelation. For their revelation to see a truth behind what's happening. He's opening a door for them to now get past excuses and past blame. Because that's immediately what happens with Adam and Eve. He opens the door for them to get past excuses, to get past blame. And to get past this part where they want to play a victim now. Of what's taken place in their life. But this is what we see from the very beginning. We were created to be known and to be loved. But sin has caused us to think we can only be one or the other. You can either know me or you can love me. Many of us carry this around. We think if you know me, you won't love me. And so what happens is we begin to control and, or try to control what you see about us and what you think you know about us. And so if I can control what you see, then you'll know all that you need to know so you'll love me. Because I can't have both. But God says you were created to be known and to be loved. But we're, we're, we're very creative at coming up with ways to try to cover our shame. But here's what we need to know. The author of Hebrews tells us this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 is where we see it. He says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. What is it? Everything is what? Naked and exposed. Just like Adam and Eve, when they felt no shame but also just like Adam and Eve when they did feel shame. But everything before him, before his eyes, he's the one to whom we are accountable. Now, don't hear that verse, don't read that verse and let that put more shame on you because that's not what it's intended to do. 
hearing that and thinking, oh my goodness, I mean, I'm trying to hide everything that I can from everybody around me. And, and, and really and truly, I'm trying to hide it from God. But God sees everything. Don't let that, don't, don't let that put more shame on you. Because if you understand the context of what's around this one verse, you understand that that's not what the author of Hebrews is trying to do. In the context of this chapter, we're seeing where God is talking, where the author is saying God is trying to give us rest. He has a place of rest for us, a place where we can find peace. The word that that he's literally using in that chapter of rest, it's a word that means a calming of the winds from the storms around you. So in other words, all, all of this uh, confusion, everything that's going on and raging around you, the, from the emotions that you're feeling, from everything that's happening, from the shame that's taking place in your life, all of those, God has a rest and a peace for you. And then if we just begin to look at the context of where he begins to talk about working towards the freedom of that, we, we go to verse 12 of four, and it says, for the word of God is alive and active and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God, his instructions, everything he's given us. Then he goes to verse 13, which we just saw. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He's the one to whom we're accountable. And then he goes forward, he says. So then, since we have a great high priest who's entered heaven... Jesus, the son of God. So then since we have Jesus, let us hold firmly to what we believe. What does he say? This high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses. He understands the reason you feel your shame. He gets it. For he faced all of the same testings we do, but yet he didn't sin. So let us, what? Come boldly, not hiding, not with our heads hanging down. Come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We come boldly to God with everything we're carrying. We bring it to him, laying Laying it all out, laying everything out before him, everything we've done, everything that's been done to us, everything we're associated with, we lay it all out before God, our gracious God. And we open ourselves to receive his mercy and find his grace. And then we begin to walk towards a place where we can start overcoming the shame that wants to weigh us down that we're associated with. Later in this writing of Hebrews, he he goes on to say, we see it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, that Jesus went to the cross because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. What What did he do? Disregarding his shame. We talked about this the last couple of weeks as well. The cross was meant to bring shame. It was meant to humiliate. It was meant to bring shame on The one who was being crucified, it was meant to bring shame on the family. It was meant to bring shame on all those who were, those loved ones associated with this person was meant to bring that shame. Jesus disregarded all of that shame and endured the cross. 
But not only that shame, he disregarded the shame of the sin that we carry because all of humanity's sin was placed on him. And he carried that shame to the cross to defeat it for us. He disregarded shame. He embraced the cross so that we wouldn't have to live under the weight of the shame. But notice in Hebrews 4 where it starts. It starts with the same place it started with Adam and Eve. It starts with God's instructions, the word of God. They're they're there for a reason. You know, Paul tells us in his letter to the church of Rome, we have it right outside in our lobby. We keep it posted wherever we can. Do not be, do not conform to this world. Do not conform to the ideologies of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God change the way you see things and the way you think. Don't conform to the ideologies uh, ideologies of our culture, the labels that have been placed on you by culture in the world. Don't conform to those things. Don't conform to the identity that people try to say you are if it's not who God says that you are. Let God change the way you think. In other words, we have to then start asking our question, okay, who is speaking to us? Who are we getting our information from about who we are? The scriptures, they help us renew, not conform. But renewing, renewing is so much more than scripture memorization. Memorization is is important. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. That's important. But also understand this. The Pharisees memorized a lot of scripture. But that didn't get them very far with Jesus. It's not just about scripture memorization. You remember it to get in you. To change you. And to produce something new in you. Paul said it this way in Colossians. We, renewing your mind is about setting your minds on things above, not on things below. And what we understand about comes from above comes from God's instructions, from God's word. The more we discover about him, especially the more we discover about who Jesus was and how he lived and what he did, the more it affects us. And the more we begin to realize that God loves us, even though he knows us. And even though he knows everything we've done, we've done. So I'm being renewed by his word. And then when I, when I'm renewed by his word, I can begin to realize where I am at this point in my life. And as I see where I am at this point in my life, now I can start to see where I need to go and where I need to. Have you ever moved before? You know, it's been a long time since we moved. Uh, we've been in our house now for about 14 years. I kind of remember when we first moved. My most recent move wasn't necessarily a house. It was an office. And I took this, the, the lead pastor position, Pastor Casey came and he gave me the keys to his office. And he said, now you, you can move to this office. So I changed offices. Well, if you've ever moved in any way, shape or form, sometimes you realize it's hard to forget where you once were, where you, where you, where you lived or where you used to go all the time. So you find yourself walking or driving in the direction of where you used to be. You ever done that? I remember walking in and sometimes walking towards my old office. Wait a minute, I'm not, my stuff's not in there anymore. I'm up here. When we begin to allow God to transform our life, that's what's happening. God's moving us from where we were to now where he wants us to be. And we have to learn to stop turning back towards that old place. You've got to be honest, though, with where you are to know where you need to get to be. You've been in those... You've been in malls or theme parks before and you see those maps and they show you everything that's around in the place. And, but there's that one particular spot that you've got to find first 
that says you are here. Because if you don't know where you are in that place, you don't know how to get to where you want to get. God wants you to understand where you are so you can get to where he wants you to be. So that's why you can't pretend. You can't cover up. You have to be honest and then let God heal and move you towards where he needs you to be. And I just want us to see real quick as we close a a picture of this happening in the life of Jesus and with someone around Jesus. It happens in Luke chapter eight. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there. It's Luke chapter eight. We're going to start in verse 40. Jesus has been doing ministry and ironically, he just calmed a storm. He's healed a demon possessed man. And now we're at this place where he's gone to the other side of a lake. And in verse 40, we begin to see what happens. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. And then a man named Jairus, who was a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him because his only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. So as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds and a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who, who touched me? Jesus said, and everyone denied it. And Peter said, master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. In other words, there's a lot of people that has touched you. And Jesus said, no, but someone deliberately touched me. Someone touched me with a purpose. Someone touched me with faith, believing for something, longing for something, desiring something that they knew only I could give them. Because I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay, what? Hidden. She began to tremble. She fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him. And that she had been immediately healed. And then Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Think about this real quick. There's a contrast that is taking place in this account. There's a contrast between a very respected person who was known by many people, a ruler in the synagogue by the name of Jairus. And then there was this woman who would have been called unclean because of the disease she carried, who would have been cast out of the community not supposed to be around the people, not supposed to be there having anyone come in contact with her. But they're both pursuing Jesus as their hope. They're both approaching Jesus. One known, another nameless, hidden, invisible. Both needing Jesus. You know, most of the time, what keeps people like Jairus from going to Jesus is pride. 
But for people like this woman, people like what many of us in here probably relate to today, what keeps us from going to Jesus is the shame that we carry. We think if he only knew the truth about me, he'd never help me because he would never want to come in contact with me because I'm unclean. That's the label that's been placed on me. That's the identity that I've embraced. That's the voice that I've listened to. This is where I am. But there's something in her that leads her. Well, maybe if I can just somehow sneak around and in just some way touch, some way just get my hand on his, the bottom of his robe that he's wearing. Maybe, maybe I've searched everywhere else. I've paid doctors. I've done everything I know to do. She's desperate. Maybe. They're all telling me I can't, but I'm going to try. She pushes her way through. She grabs his garment and then Jesus stops. Now Luke tells the word that Luke uses here for about touching the fringe of his garment. This isn't a word that just means she reached out and kind of touched it with her fingertip. It's not a word that just means she reached out and she put her hand on the bottom of it. It's a word that means that she clung to it. She grabbed it. If even for just a moment, she grabbed it out of desperation. Saying, God, please heal me. So obviously it had to tug at Jesus's shoulder when it happened because she clung and he's walking. But it was so much more because Jesus didn't just feel a tug from his garment being pulled. He felt power released from him. Because someone reached out to him in faith, believing. And then Jesus wants her to identify herself. Now I want you to picture this scene. A crowd of, this is a mob of people. This woman who does not want to be seen is hiding in her in her shame and everything that's taking place and happening to her in her life. This is the last thing she wanted. Jesus stops everything. He stops the whole movement. He tells everybody to stop. Someone touched me. Who touched me? Where are you? And Luke tells us that she was trembling. Why? Because it's the last thing she wanted to happen. She's probably thinking in her mind, is this just going to be more humiliation? Is this going to be more rejection? Is this going to be more shame? But Jesus wants to look at her and and, and he wants to give her way more than what what she came to him for. Jesus, she tells her story. She lays everything out of what's happened to her, what she's been going through. And then Jesus looks at her and he just says, daughter. In other words, I don't want you to just be healed. I want you to know that you are loved. You're cherished. You are accepted. And then not only that, I want you to go in peace. 
In other words, the torment that all the shame that comes from this unhealing or this, this sickness, all the shame that's weighing on you for everything that you've been carrying, I'm, I'm taking that today as well. And I want you to go in peace and be free. Think again about the contrast. Jairus is a dad pleading the case of his daughter. This woman never had a dad pleading her case, now being called daughter by the Son of God. He wants to give you so much more. And she would go on in peace and Jesus would go on walking towards a journey towards the cross as we've seen would take take every bit of shame that we carry in our life. Shame thrives in secrecy. But when you take a step to open up, when you take a step towards Jesus, when you take a step to open up what's weighing you down, you're taking a step towards freedom. There's a beautiful verse where God's speaking to Joshua because about their slavery and about coming out of Egypt because the Israelites, they continued to carry the weight of their slavery on them from when they were freed from, from Egypt. In fact, they often would express, let's just go back. That was the identity that they kept saying, this is who we are. We might as well go back to who we were. But in Joshua chapter five, verse nine, we see God speak to Joshua and he tells them this today. I've rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Today, I have rolled away your shame. And I really believe today that God wants to speak to somebody here this morning, watching at any point in time. God wants to roll your shame away today. All the shame that you've been carrying for anything that's happened to you, anything that you've done, anything you're associated with, God wants to roll that shame off of your life. You don't have to carry that shame. The enemy is an accuser. The enemy will start by trying to tear down your identity. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. Luke, who thoroughly investigated everything, they both tell us about Jesus going into the desert. And the enemy tempted him. The very first thing he tempted him with was his identity. If you are the son of God, he wants to tempt your identity. He's going to start with things you've done, things that's been done to you, the guilt that's on you because of those things. He's going to start there. He's going to begin to condemn and then he's going to take it to tear down who you are and bring you shame. But Jesus Christ lifts your head and he calls you his child. You're a son and you're a daughter of God. Let him lift your head and declare who you are in him. And instead of thinking I'm defective, I'm disgusting, I'm damaged, I'm ugly, I'm impure, I'm unclean, I'm worthless, I'm no good. You'll begin to see I'm a child of God. I'm free. I'm forgiven. I am healed. I am blessed. I am new. And who he's calling me to be. And be 
being his child makes you a part of his family. You can only think that Luke included this because this woman who was at one time hidden and tucked away and away from everybody, not wanting to be exposed, is now a part of the family of God, now a part of the early church and what they are doing. And that's what God does. God forms his church from broken people. He declares us new. He commissions us with a purpose and he equips us with his power. So if you're in here today carrying shame or you're watching today and carrying shame, just know this, you're surrounded by people who are broken. But God has worked in And now we are a family together in church. We can't be a place that looks at people and says, shame on you. We have to be a place that looks at people and says, shame off you. Because today God wants to roll your shame away. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccanbin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.